Being a mother can be exhausting, can it? Uh, you may be like a mother here this, you may be a mother here this morning that would agree with one mom that said, I like to party. And by party, I mean take a nap. <laughs> there was another mother that said, a child proofed my house, but the kids still get in. <laughs> One more and then we'll move on. And I appreciate the courtesy laughs. That, that's helpful. Another one said, I've decided not to have kids. And the kids are taking it pretty hard. <laughs> uh, we love and appreciate um, the mothers and all the ladies that are, that are here this morning and watching online. Welcome. If this is your first time here physically or online, thank you so much for choosing to, to spend Mother's Day or part of Mother's Day with us this morning. And if you're, whether you're a mother or not, thank you for being here. We appreciate you coming. In the worship guide that you received, there should be a connect card. If you just fill out the basic information online, there's a place there as well for you to let us know that you are with us. We promise that we won't hound you, but we certainly want to say thanks for being, being with us and let you know a little bit more about Zeal Church, and then we leave it up to you. We're all on a spiritual journey and we would love for you to jump on this journey with us, but, but we, will, we will let you and, and God decide on, on that. All right? Um, <clears throat> I have a... This is going to be not a typical Mother's Day service, and it's not even going... A message, and it's not even going to be a typical, a typical message uh, this morning, but... And I mentioned something about one of, the, one of the reports that came out. You know, I have s several subscriptions that I'm a part of that for pastors or whatever. And a couple of three weeks ago, I, had, uh, I received a, um, what's called the American Worldview um, uh, Inventory it's a report from George Barna. It actually came out March 8th of this year, 2022, <clears throat> and it, there was some information there that, that um, you know, there's some things that you know and you can feel, but then whenever the research comes out and the stats come out and all of that, it kind of, it still kind of shakes you up a little bit, especially as a pastor, it, it, it shook me a little bit, and then um, there were a lot of information, and I'm going to share some of that this morning. And then after that, I got another, this week, uh, one of the church leadership podcasts that I listened to was with a, um, a missionary missiologist, futurist, does very highly educated and spends his life studying, um, you know, what's going on around the world. And I just want to share some of the information from that and then kind of let us know where we are as well as give, some, give us some practical steps to what we do. I believe that God wants us to be like the, 
the sons of Issachar in First Chronicles 12. It says that that the king had some guys around him that were from the, they called them the sons of Issachar, where they they knew the times that they were in and what to do. And as as a pastor, I want us I don't want us to be naive on the times that we were in that we are in. And also, I, do, I want to try to give us some foundational things, and we've, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, and a couple of the steps are, are kind of review of the last couple of weeks, because some of y'all aren't here every week. <laughs> so anyway, let me, let me just give you some of this, and there, some of them are in the, in the notes, but this report that came out March 8th, just a few things out of that. Uh, George Barna starts off with saying, every adult has a worldview. The worldview is typically fully developed and operational before a person becomes a teenager. Went on to say, few people would deny the fact that parents play a significant role in the shaping of their, of their children's worldview. Goes on to say, every parent teaches what they know but they model what they believe. They can only give what they have, and what they have to give reflects their driving beliefs about life and spirituality. He goes on to say, parents are not the only agents of influence on their children's worldview, but they remain both a primary influence and a gatekeeper to other influences. He goes on to say, but there's a problem. The new, this report, the AWVI, I'll say, 2022 study found that only, listen, only 2% possess a biblical worldview. 2% of parents possess a biblical worldview. Although two-thirds of the parents of preteens claim to be Christian, 67%, a mere 4% of them possess a biblical worldview. They declare they're followers of Christ, but whenever it comes down to answering these questions and filling out the only 4% actually consistently throughout the survey had a biblical worldview. Equally shocking was the finding that none of these six alternative, none of the six alternative worldviews tested is embraced by even 1% of parents. That leaves more than 9 out of 10 parents of preteens, a full 94%. I know we're going to be giving a lot of numbers here or whatever, and I'm going to let you write some of them down here in a minute. 94% having a worldview known as syncretism which is a blending of multiple worldviews in which no single life philosophy is dominant, producing a worldview, listen, producing a worldview that is not only diverse, but often self-contradictory. And that explains a whole lot in some of the conversations that, I, that I've had with Folks that might say, I am a fully devoted follower of Christ. And then in two or three sentences later, I know what the, and then they'll say, I know what the Bible says, but I know that God wants me to be happy. 
Told you. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> so I've been going through this report for over a couple of weeks now. And then I get this, this listen to this podcast from a guy named, and you can look him up if you want to, from a guy named Fred Markert. He's a missionary and a very highly educated missiologist, which is a, he specializes or he studies and is trained in the science of missions, which is the study of the intersection of the gospel and culture and the church. And then he, then he studies these cycles of history and, and analyzes where we are in these cycles. And then by, by that analysis, he predicts what is likely to happen in the future from that study. And he predicts that America's superpower status is right at the verge of collapse. Here's some of what he says. He says that there, there has never been a superpower that has survived when they've gotten to the point to where America is now. Every collapse of a superpower nation has been one of suicide. <laughs> the, he says the barbarians don't come in at their high point and take over they, they have moral decay and the superpower, they have, they have the superpower and then there's moral decay and they become, they, as they're up there, they become arrogant and then they go through moral decay and become weak and then the barbarians come in and take over. So here's, you can, we've got some notes there. You can, you can take them out and start filling in some numbers here. Average, the average lifespan of a superpower, the average lifespan of the 26 superpowers in 5,000 years of recorded history is 238 years before they collapse. America is now 246 years old. <laughs> in other words... We're eight years beyond our expiration date. He talks about these seven, seven spheres of influence. You have, you have church slash religion. You have family. These are the major influences in a, in a country or in a nation, in a society. You have education that influences. You have business slash economics. Then you have government. You have arts and entertainment. And then you have media. <clears throat> and he says, most of the time in, in nations, you know, there'll be highs and lows in each one of these spheres of influence. And, but most of the time, you know, you have some that are usually about half of them are on the high point and about half of them are at the low point. He said, but anytime the low points come together all at the same time, 
that nation is in trouble. And he said, right now, we're in trouble. He said that throughout history, these fears have cycles of highs and lows. He was saying that usually the highs and the lows fears usually cycle different times. I've already said that. But when they have a very low cycle at the same time, it has always led to social, economic, and governmental collapse. And that's scriptural. Proverbs 14.34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin condemns any person or any people. All right. So that's the seven spheres of influence. Then you have seven phases in the lifespan of a superpower. Seven phases in the lifespan of a superpower. The first is the outburst or when, they, when it comes into being. And then you have conquest. So, so as far as the USA goes, 1776, we came into being. It's the outburst. Then there's the conquest. Uh, when you first exert power on the global stage, that was between 1918 through 1945, the world wars that happened. And then you have commerce, which is the businesses in that nation become dominant in the world and not just in the nation, but it spreads Throughout the, throughout the world, they become powerful uh, in commerce everywhere. And then, you, then it, there's blessings that come. And if you go through the Old Testament, you'll see that even the, the nation of Israel was just like this. The people of God were like this. They would, they would sin, they'd get into bondage, and then they would cry out to God and revival would come. God would send a, a prophet that would come and deliver them and they would experience the blessings of God and then they would get affluent and get lazy in their relationship with God and let idols come in and other religions and all kinds of things come into their lives and then they would go into bondage and then it was just like this. So the affluence, basically 1950, we became, we became affluent all over the world. And it's the most dangerous stage. Affluence, prosperity is, more is a more difficult test than poverty or hardship because we have the tendency to forget God in that. So then, the next, the next step in the cycle is the intellect. And that basically hit us in 1965 and our universities and our schools and our academics lost their minds. We went from, we went from, from teaching the foundational, the, the, the major hundred books that, that built the foundation of our nation to being critical theory where we started tearing down all of the all of the things that made, and this happens in every one of these societies, every one of these superpowers. Come into the intellectuals, end up, you know, we start thinking we're smarter and everything than God. And then it turns into decadence. 
And he had it down basically 1985 till now and saying that we're in the, we're in the very last stages of decadence and then collapse. And he, his, his educated guess, his futurist hat on says that somewhere between now and 2029, we're, we are going to see a collapse. We're going to stop being the superpower. Isn't that something? I'm telling you, isn't this a great Mother's Day? <laughs> this isn't a typical message, so if you're a first-time guest, come back again sometime. <laughs> One of the signs of collapse being imminent in practically every, in fact, every Superpower was when there was rampant sexual and gender confusion. Well, let's stop right there and keep on going. And I'm not wanting to share this information to bring fear or doubt or a feeling of we're doomed and without hope because that's not God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But I also, I do believe that God wants his people to know where they are and take seriously where they are. Two profound truths can be true at the same time, not a contradictory philosophy but let me give you an example. America and the whole world are coming apart at the seams. True? Here's another statement. God is moving in great power around the world. So we as followers of Christ can say... Man, America and the world seems to be coming apart at the seams. But God is moving in a powerful way all around the world. So we don't get in the mully grubs over here. We, we analyze and we see where, where our nation is. And we say, God, I thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. I thank you that you are God and more powerful than anything else is going on. And you can bring revival in the midst of of decadence. You can raise us up from the point of collapse because many of us have experienced that in our own personal lives. Well, I did anyway. So you can see it over and over and over again throughout history and throughout the Bible. But Jesus said this, this ought to bring all of us hope and confidence. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. That's who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the almighty God. So in that, I want to... I don't want to leave you in doom and despair, agony on me. (laughs) 
the folks over that have a little bit of gray in their beard, they got that. The rest of you young bucks didn't get that at all. I mean, y'all are staring at me like I don't even know what he's talking about. Ask your mom or your daddy. So I want you to see how God is building his church. In 1970, there were 1.2 billion Christians in the world. 1970, 1.2 billion. 2014, 2.6 billion Christians in the world. So the church more than doubled in those 40 years. That has never happened with any major religion in history. The church is growing faster than the population. This is still part of, the, of what this uh, Fred Markert was saying out of his studies. The church is growing faster than the population growth in all but 20 countries in the world. Here's an example. In Thailand, it's a, Thailand is a Buddhist country. For every 100 babies born into Buddhism, there are 103 Buddhists converted to Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? And that's happening, that's happening all over the world except for in 20 countries. Um, the U.S. of A. is kind of right flatlined, even. This isn't in your notes, but extreme poverty. In 1990, 52% of the world experienced extreme poverty. In 2020, it was 10%. And the vast majority of the decline is in the newly, listen, in the newly and the rapidly Christianizing countries. In other words, whenever people, no matter how poor, no matter how, how low a country is, whenever God shows up, and people start surrendering their life to Christ, extreme poverty starts going down because God desires to bless His people in every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, in every way. God's desire is to bless His people. Atheism. We think that it is just blowing and going. Here's the stats. 1991, there was four, uh, globally, 4.4% were atheists. 2006, went down to 2% were atheists. They're saying by 2025, the trend keeps going the way it's going, it'll, it'll be down to 1.6% are atheists in the world, globally. Praise God for that. Um, again, America and the world seem to be coming apart at the seams. But God is moving in a powerful way. So, for us, we want to be a part of this. Because God can bless us no matter what the world does. Amen. So, 
after all of that, real quickly, are y'all still okay? You with me? I hadn't seen a mama walk out yet. You must want that sweet taste coming here in just a second. I want us to understand the times that we're in and then respond in faith and be used by God to supernaturally make a difference in our families, in our cities, in our state, in our nation, and in the world. So how do we respond in faith? Number one, this won't surprise none of these are going to surprise you. Very simple. But we need to apply them. Pray for true revival. Not just a buck and a shout, but for true life change to happen in people's lives. The salvation of our nation is not going to happen through politicians. It doesn't matter if you vote in whomever you want to vote in. I don't care who it is that you're thinking is the greatest in the world. They're not the greatest in the world and they can't make they can't save America. <laughs> we must experience true revival. Because here's the promise. We need to experience in our own individual lives and in our families and our and in our churches. Because that will affect our nation. Second Chronicles 7.14, very familiar, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture on prayer in the entire Bible. It says this, powerful promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God promises that I will hear from heaven. I, and I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. Don't just... Well, that leads to the next. Seth, y'all can come on up. I was about to say something. But it's in your notes, so I might as well go ahead and move you on to your notes. Devote yourself to learn and live by the Word of God. Devote yourselves. God help us to, to devote ourselves to not only learn, but to live by the Word of God. Because God... God is for us. He is not against us. We find that in the Word of God. So everything that He says to us, everything that He encourages or commands us to do is not to tear us down, but to build us up. He knows what's best for us better than we know ourselves. And it goes past our feelings and our emotions to the power of God. So devote yourself to learn and live by the Word of God, even whenever it disagrees with your feelings. God, help us. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I could stay here for a minute. 
Not going to because it's Mother's Day. <laughs> Philippians says that God does a work in us. And he empowers us to, to will and to do. He doesn't want us to just want to. He empowers us to do. And we need to, as followers of His, we need to stand in faith. This is how we respond in faith. Lord, I thank You that You have changed my want to. And now I surrender my life to You and I ask You to empower me to follow through on the want to. I come in agreement with Your Word. I come in agreement with Your principles. I come in agreement with Your promises. And I'm asking You to empower me to live it out. Then here's what we talked about this last week for just a second. Develop Christ-centered relationships. Develop your, our closest relationships need to be Christ-centered relationships. We need to, to be developing folks, relationships with folks that, that are far from God, absolutely. But we need to be influencing them instead of being so close to their where they're influencing us. And that's where we have to go back to the other and say, Lord, I devote to you before I devote to anybody else. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We profess for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love that word spur. We encourage one another. Some of us need encouragement with a pat on the back. Others of us need a foot up the behind. But spur one another on. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the, the world coming apart at the seams. All the more, let's build Christ-centered relationships and believe that God is going to send revival. And then, lastly, commit to Jesus' commission. Let's commit. We're talking about right now not just saving our families not just saving our lives but we're talking about saving our nation it's not going to happen through politicians Matthew 28 19 one of the very last things that Jesus said before he ascended but we say what's most important our last words we want to make sure they hear Here's what he said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. Not just saying it, but doing it. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And surely, when you do this, I'm with you always. Even if to the end of the age, even if the world collapses, 
Let's pray for a revival until the rapture. I'll take the rapture, Lord, right now. But God, send revival until you come again. And start that work in me, as the old song says. God, in your name. I pray that you would just speak to us and challenge us by your spirit, not just a message from a preacher talking. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would penetrate every one of our minds and every one of our hearts right now, oh God. We would take on the privilege and the responsibility to carry your name, oh God to live as people who are close to you, who desire you, oh God. And I pray if there's anybody here and anybody watching this morning who hasn't surrendered their life to you yet, Lord, that God, that they would receive the hope and the power of a changed life. That they would come to you and say, Lord, I thank you that you love me so much that you came to earth paid the price for my sin on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin and purify me from all unrighteousness and empower me to be the person that wills and does your will in my life. And God, as we do that, as we make a fresh commitment on that on a daily basis, oh God, I pray that we would make a difference in our world send revival oh God bring freedom bring hope bring power to where we're not ashamed of you oh God in Jesus name amen let's stand and worship this morning